My name's Bridget, and I've never seen Man on the Moon. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. As always, my name is Adam, uh, and I am joined only again by Bridget this week, who has never seen 1999's Man on the Moon. Bridget, welcome. Thank you. Now, we are without Johnny this week, as we were unable to make schedules work, as three people in scheduling can, you know, and, and it's the summer. summer. You know, everybody's everybody's out having a good time. It's... It's a little tough. So we, we do what we can to bring you quality film discussion entertainment on the show where we show somebody, anybody, sometimes multiple people, a film they've never seen before, but they absolutely should have. Bridget, uh, I want to talk to you about what you know about Man on the Moon, because this is a film that I watched quite a bit in my teenage years. Really? Uh, yes, oh, I do. I do okay. quite like this movie. Uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about it uh, and see maybe what you know starting off and we can uh, we can kick things off from there. So I know that it is uh, a biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that it is about the comedian Andy Kaufman. Correct. I know that Jim Carrey stars mm-hmm. and this is one of his... What comes first? This or Truman Show? Truman Show is the year before. Okay. So, so this, this is, is right right afterwards. This is the start into the more the dramatic. The majestic period. Correct. Yeah. Majestic. Um, Eternal Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Number 23. Truman Show. This. Like, this is no longer the man we knew in The Mask and Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura. I feel like the switch kind of starts with Cable Guy where it gets a little less of the goofy zany Mm -hmm. and kind of moves through into this and we still get in the early 2000s you get a bruce almighty you get a mr popper's penguins but it mostly this is a different period for him right i know that court i believe courtney love is in this movie as well this is part of her brief time as a like supporting actress yes do you have strong feelings about courtney love uh (laughs) (laughs) uh i do in Strong positive ones. Okay. Put it that way. Okay. Um, you know, other than that, I don't know much. I know a little bit about Andy Kaufman. Just, um, I understand that his style is just very strange, almost non sequitur mm-hmm. style humor. Um, and he was known for these sort of stunts. Like, I think there's a, an ongoing belief that he may have even faked his own death kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I never... Went down that road. I was a George Carlin kid. Okay. So that was where my comedy energies were directed. I can picture the VHS cover of this movie in, like, the video store mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And want it being like, that man is funny. And my mother being like, no, he's not. And like, <laughs> get away. Get away from there. Um, yeah. But, like, more so just being like, it's not movie for kids yeah it's absolutely not a movie for kids yeah and then being like can we watch a different movie with him no (laughs) still no yeah your mother's opinion is jim carrey is not a man for kids no (laughs) my mother's opinion is jim carrey is not a man for anyone true but Um, specifically her own children specifically yeah definitely (laughs) us um for sure i did see it's an hour and 58 minutes correct check that out yeah 
I don't really know what to expect other than maybe like your sort of traditional beats of like a biography film. You know, probably yeah. see some formative moment as a child. Maybe someone slips on a banana peel. Maybe the first time, like, he makes someone laugh. Like, I don't know. That's true. Every comedian starts out because they once saw someone slip on a banana peel and decided, that's it. I want to do that for the rest of my life. I just want to be hucking them out onto the sidewalk. Yeah. Early success, some setback, then big success, and then the crash, and, you know, all of that. But, I don't know. But you've seen this movie a lot. Yes. What do you, what... What do you like about it? Uh, I don't... So I was not a person, obviously, being younger than the core demographic for when Andy Kaufman existed. Right. I was not aware of him to the extent that I like knew of his bits or knew clips. Like Most of my introduction is through this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and subsequently, having seen some of the things that were portrayed in the movie, I've seen the... Uh, like the real version of Mm -hmm. and so the information has been informed by this movie which granted is probably not a hundred percent accurate to real life but it does at least give you the sense and people who were around andy are in this movie they've talked about this movie some of the cast are playing themselves oh interesting um but like from back then kind of thing like they're just portraying them as them being actors that were actors that acted with Andy. Like, it's all yeah. very... It's honestly all very Andy to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, from what I do know of him. And I just think it's a it's a really good performance from Jim, which is what the movie is meant to be. Like, this is one of those, like, what are you here for? You're here to see Jim do Andy. Yeah. Um. So, you know, we talk about this with all different kinds of movies of, like, at the end of the day, did you see a Dumbo drop? You did. Like, <laughs> yeah, you got what you wanted. <laughs> um. You know, when you go see a Fast and Furious movies, were the car stuff cool? Cool. Then you got what you wanted out of it. That what more did you realistically expect? To your point, yeah, I mean, you are going to get a lot of the same uh, biopic type stuff, but I think because Andy's not a traditional type of artist, mm-hmm. it's not going to be necessarily a beat for beat like a you know walk hard aping type thing yeah. of like. Oh, you you had a childhood trouble, then you overcame it to become famous, and then, oh my god, that thing. And then, so, like, there'll be some of that, but not, yeah. I think. This is more just almost like, it's almost like a documentary, but it's it's filmed like a movie, and it's shot like a movie, and it's acted like a movie. But it is just showing you pieces of things that happened. Okay. So I think it's a little different in that aspect, but it's... It's one of my favorite Jim Carrey roles that isn't a zany slapstick. Like, I don't think this will ever eclipse a, uh, like, a mask or an Ace Ventura or a Dumb and Dumber. You know, the trifecta of 1994. <laughs> but yeah. but in terms of, like, the drama stuff, it's like this and The Truman Show are my favorites. Because they're both just really, really good and just shows what he was able to do outside of funny faces and funny noises. Though, a lot of this is funny faces and funny noises because that's also who andy was yeah i do think it's very good now have you seen clips of andy kaufman like do you have any kind of reference point to whether or not this will be a good interpretation or good mimicry or anything like that i really don't like i i can conceptualize like a 
a humor bit that feels Kaufman-esque, mm-hmm. like a sort of like Nathan Fielder mm-hmm. kind of style of humor or that, um, what's that show on Netflix? Like, I think you should leave. Oh, with, uh, Tim Robinson. With Tim Robinson. Mm-hmm. Like that to me, like. Like absurdist sketch. Ab- kind right. Of, yeah. Like feels like a, a spiritual successor, but I don't. Like, I can picture him on, like, sitting on a couch on a late night show and, like, someone, like, Johnny Carson being like, what the fuck is going on? But I really don't actually, I'm not familiar with any of his bits or really anything besides potentially faking his own death. Mm. Which is hard to top, in fairness. That is the ultimate bit. That's... (laughs) (laughs) Like, really? You made people cry. You made them go to a funeral. Like, you made them do an in-memoriam for you. Like, gotcha. Got him. <laughs> yeah. I made you feel things you didn't want to, sucker. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be the ultimate thing. And as as far as I know, there's not been any sightings. There's not been any... You know, it's not like everyone says, like, oh, El- Elvis is living... You know, everyone sees Elvis. Yeah. You know, everyone's seen Tupac, Tupac. somewhere. Like, everyone's got a story about some of these people. But uh, as far as I know, I have not heard of any uh, Andy Kaufman sightings if his death was faked. I think the most recent thing I saw was in like 2014. One of his friends and I think his girlfriend in the time, who was played by Courtney Love, wrote a book. And in the book, they said, oh, yeah, 30 years is the shelf life of this bit. Like, you're going to find out real soon. And then obviously nothing ever came of it because I do think he he has passed. (laughs) Now, when you saw this did it. Did you know a lot about... You didn't know a lot about him going in. No, this is like this movie, I think, informed a lot of what I know of him. And then obviously, like I said, did, did my own research afterwards. Like, I think there was only one thing... Because I probably saw this in maybe middle, early high school, something like that. Where, you know, 13, 14, probably too early to be seeing it. Because I think it is rated R. Yeah. Um, but it would have been one of those things that probably showed up on hbo or one of those things and i had the movie channel so i would just you know watch something and it's yeah. ooh, it's jim carrey it's jim carrey yeah. yeah like i definitely did not see this in 1999 you know at 12 or whatever right. so this is something i definitely saw a little bit later uh, and i think the only thing i was aware of of andy is that there was a period of time where andy was feuding with a famous memphis area professional wrestler and had dubbed himself the intergender wrestling champion and would wrestle women uh, as part of the bit. And this will be in the movie. I, it's not technically a spoiler, I guess. It's just, it's something that you will see. But that was all I really knew about him. Okay. Because I watched wrestling. Like, yeah. And because the Memphis area wrestler that he was feuding with was at that time a commentator for the WWF. Okay. So, like, I knew that name. I was able to connect the pieces a little bit. I'd probably seen clips or someone had mentioned it or early internet. You you, you know, stumble upon weird. Co- correct. Um, so I think that was probably the only thing I knew. And even then in the timing, like it might've been a thing I looked into right after, like the timing is a little hazy on that. I don't, it's not burned in when I learned about Jerry Lawler versus Andy <laughs> Kaufman. Um, it's not a core memory for me. <laughs> Are you sure? Because it seems like it's just, it was always there. Yeah, it could have been just yeah. always there. Yeah, I could have been coming out of the womb. with the n- yeah. knowledge. I'm just being rocked as a small child. Like, and one day, Andy Kaufman, who's a comedian you don't know, yeah. <laughs> was wrestling women all throughout the South. <laughs> 
But, uh, yeah, so, like, very little, but, again, then have seen the bits that have been parodied, or not parodied, but parroted Mm -hmm. in this movie to, like, see the actual version of it. And, from what I've seen, Jim nails it. So that's something that I think uh, will be exciting for you to to kind of look at and know that whether or not the the things actually took place, the portrayal is dead on. Okay. Um, so the, well, we can talk about historical inaccuracies that may or may not exist in the post show because we don't want to get into to too much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is that is what kind of informed my understanding of Andy was this movie okay. for better or for worse okay uh, and maybe we can save this for after is the movie generally understood to be like maybe if not completely 100 percent accurate but like a a faithful adaptation of his life I mean, ever that's always going to be a semantic question yeah. when you talk about a biopic, just because one person's dead-on accurate representation maybe doesn't align with someone else's remembrance of that person, because like everybody interacts with different people differently. Mm-hmm. So one person who may see this kind, caring, always straightforward with you person isn't the same as someone who always sees the the comedian who's always on and who's always doing a bit. So like those may not necessarily coincide. So you're always going to get people that say it isn't versus you're going to get people that say it is. Bob Zamuda is a character in the movie who is also in the movie himself, but who is also an executive producer on the movie. He's the one who wrote the book that I, I just referenced. He says it's super accurate and he was around Andy all the time, but other people say, like, no, that, that wasn't my experience, or this scene wasn't my experience, mm-hmm. or that happened, and that that's not how it went down. Like, that's that's totally wrong. That's not the guy I knew. I think at one point, you know, his parents weighed in. It was like, oh, I wish that we saw more of this, because that's not what this was, or you know, so. But I think when you watch the scenes of, like, some of the bits, or some of the performances on TV shows, or on stage those mirror the actual clips yeah whether or not the story around that is a hundred percent i don't i don't think so it, it never can be it's always going to be an interpretation that makes for the best movie yeah but i think it's close enough like this isn't one of those movies where someone's like oh literally nothing about it is right they just slapped a name on it this isn't operation dumbo drop to give that example again because we we talked about that and how it's yeah, they did elephant stuff, but it's not the same. Like, this isn't the they same. They did not drop an elephant Yeah, they didn't the do sky. a Dumbo drop. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, to to that point, I think this is probably closer to something like that. But this is also billed as a biopic where that is a, based on a true story. Not a biopic of a certain person. It's just elements picked and chosen. Okay. So, I think you're on, you're on the right track okay. a little bit in terms of the, the way you're going into it. This does have a a famous director. I won't tell you who, because oh. I don't want that to inform. That I honestly didn't realize this until looking this up. That that's who directed it. It just you know wouldn't have picked up on this person, uh, this director per se. And I don't think I've really seen anything else that they've done. But I know of the films that they've done, uh, and they are uh, famous. Oh no, I've seen one of them, uh, one of their most famous, and then some of the other ones I I have not. But okay. hear nothing but good things about. So we can. Okay discuss that a little bit in the post yeah is this your favorite like 
biopic? That's a good question. I'd have to look at a list of biopics to really know. Mm-hmm. It's probably up there. Yeah. It's a really, I like, you know, I don't want to oversell it, obviously, because I want you to go in with at least tempered expectations. But it, yeah, it's it's a movie I really enjoy. And I think it's a, a really good character interpretation. Again, whether or not the story matches up or whatever, I think he seems to nail the persona. He seems to nail the character. And so that that shines through in the movie, which makes for a better biopic, because no biopic's going to be 100% accurate. Right. Like, I think it would be near impossible because of how everyone has a different interpretation of a person's actions or a person's motivations or what have you. So, uh, But him as Andy, seemingly dead on. Yeah. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that afterwards as well and kind of the process and everything that went into that. But I do think it's it's pretty well up there. All right. What, do you have a favorite biopic? I was I was thinking about this. My my immediate answer is Walk Hard, mm-hmm. which is not a completely truthful one. I do love Walk the Line. They're they're not done as much nowadays. Like there was a big burst of them in the early two thousands. Like Walk the Line, Ray, The Aviator. You know, like it just seemed like there were all these. Juicy rolls. I like the aviator too. I mean, you do say that, but I'm gonna I'm gonna deflate that a little bit by listing you off uh, eight movies in the last year that came out that are biopics. That's true. Elvis just came out. Elvis, King Richard, Tick Tick Boom, Being the Ricardos, uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, the one where Mark Wahlberg is a bad guy who becomes a priest, The House of Gucci. That's a tr- that's a true story. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's called Father Stew. Um, the House of Gucci. Mark Wahlberg is also in a different movie called Joe Bell, which comes up under biopics. Oh. Uh, Zachary Levi did that Kurt Warner biopic that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I just I I think have we just kind of checked them. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're not. It's not like something that streaming services are pushing out necessarily. Like mm. they would do if they're going to do like it becomes a miniseries. Yes. Or nothing. Yeah, you get the crown as opposed to a right. Princess Diana or Queen Elizabeth biopic mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. Um, but Although yeah, yeah. we did have one of those last year, too. Yeah, true. Which I haven't seen. I heard it was good. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like some of the ones that I've enjoyed now that I've got the list up here. Uh, I, Tanya, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked Tom Hanks's Mr. Rogers movie. Okay. Uh, I thought he was pretty good in that. Hacksaw Ridge was a pretty good movie. That's the Mel Gibson directed one with Andrew Garfield. Yeah. Looking at some of so like those those I really enjoyed. Ray is good. I liked Bohemian Rhapsody. I thought that was again not necessarily true a hundred percent, but it was a good movie. Same thing with the Social Network. Like probably not at all what Mark Zuckerberg was like back then, but the movie's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, they, they make the, the biopics. I think we just people tend not to see them as much because they do have that formula. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's all about who's the subject, who's the star. I'll see it based on that. Yeah. So, like, I didn't give two shits about the members of the Gucci family. But I'll go watch a movie with Adam Driver and Lady Gaga. Uh, and I guess Jared Leto's got to be there, too. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, it really depends on the subject and the star. Yeah. To whether or not you can carry through a, a 90 minutes to two hours of 
more or less the same trials and tribulations of a person who ultimately was a multi-millionaire most of these times. Yeah. Wow, I'm like just reeling from the list of all the ones in the last year. In the last year, I'm like, yeah. Oh, like have I just stopped learning things? Like reach capacity, like no movie has come out since 2005. No, not at all. No, it's none of my business. Yeah, exactly. Um, the only movie, recent movie that I know is Annette. <laughs> and a Mortal Kombat reboot and King Kong versus <laughs> Godzilla. Whatever ones we've done on this show, Top Gun Maverick, you Top know, Gun Dune. Dune. Yeah. So yep. if we haven't covered it here, it doesn't exist. It doesn't. I, 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 truly, though, it doesn't. <laughs> Truly, though, if it's not in the TCM file mm-hmm. in the HBO Max, like in the TCM hub, yeah. I'm not watching it. If it's not available to rent digitally from the library, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to. No. It's not for me. Yeah. Did you see? No. <laughs> <laughs> sure didn't. Yeah. I'm still calling movie phone to find out <laughs> times. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. But cool. Well, any other expectations or any other last minute thoughts you want to get out there about, about any of this? No, I'm... I'm truly excited to see Courtney Love, whatever Courtney Love is doing in this movie. Okay. I'm sure I'll like it, even if it's not good. <laughs> All right. It's well, just what I do in general for her. Fair enough. Uh, what did you have to say for yourself then? Fine. I'll watch it. We are back. We have just finished watching 1999's Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey. Bridget, you are the only other person here in the room and on the hot seat this week. (laughs) So I want to know, how are you feeling after watching this movie? Good. Um, I will definitely be falling down a Wikipedia rabbit hole as I fall asleep tonight. (laughs) Um, It was good. It was good. It's, I had forgotten, like, this is a movie that I feel like doesn't get made anymore. I feel like you can trick me and <laughs> throw it. Well, Bridget, like, well, I'm going to give you eight movies hold that on. have come out in the last week that have all been this movie. No. <laughs> but the 90s really excelled at this, the late 90s, of the movie that starts off funny and then gets sad really fast out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And... uh 
you feel a little bit of tonal whiplash, but it, like I don't know, it doesn't bother me. Funny People much. is a movie similar to this in terms of like upfront, it is so comedy heavy, and then it drops the hammer of sickness and it leans dramedy, and then the end is all melodrama. Like, yeah, but that one at least seems more gradual, and it's also way longer. It's like two twenty, two thirty, something like that. Like, it's a really long movie for what it is. Yeah. Whereas this, like, it's just a shade under two. That whiplash effect, I totally get. Yeah. Um. But like, I thinking about you know the Patch Adams effect. Mm. Like what? What? But again, this is a a real life story. Yeah. I. Was surprised. I'm like, oh yeah, he does die. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that he does do that. Well, allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. But like, when he like feels the cyst, I was like, oh shit, that's right. (sighs) He's gonna have to die. Yeah, the movie does Or at least fake his death and the fun's gonna stop. The movie does a good job of not preparing you for that. In that like... It makes you forget that this is a person that died at, like, 38 or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, And so you're just, like, you're along for the ride and you're seemingly having a good time. And then all of a sudden, like you said, the the rug gets pulled out from under you when you realize that, like, oh, he's got a thing going on and, and it's over. Like, the laughter is over now. It's just sadness for this man, mm-hmm. you know? No one likes to see the clown die, essentially, is yeah. what it boils down to. Yeah. What I like about this movie, though, is there's never... Sometimes, like, movies like this, there'll be a moment where the character has a moment of clarity, uh, and they're like, do you think I'll be able to do the things... Like, at no point does the movie even hint at concerns about mortality. No. Up until... We're very concerned about mortality. Yeah, but even then, the Andy doesn't seem... Because even in his seemingly in the movie's last moment, is planning a new show. Like, he's planning a new thing to do. Yeah. So, like, even the character's not concerned with it, so the movie doesn't have to take the time to be like, what do we think about this? How does the funny man look at the... Who is a spiritual person, seemingly? He's into transcendental meditation and, like, goes on retreats and has a... Maharishi or whatever character, yeah, uh, and even he's just like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine. I'm going to the Philippines. I'm gonna get leeches or whatever. Like, I'm gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. Let's do a kid show with with me and Tony Clifton. <laughs> oh, Tony Clifton. <laughs> <laughs> he's quite the character. It's, he really, really is. So you're, but you're okay with the film dropping off a cliff, essentially, in terms of what it is for one hour and. 40 minutes. Yeah, because it really is like, we get the diagnosis and we're wrapping up in 15 minutes. Yeah. It's a race to the grave at this point. It really is. Um, It's a downhill race to the grave. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't mind it. Okay. I still, I like, I enjoyed it. Did you still feel like, because obviously this is what they're going for. Do you feel the emotional gut punch? Does the funeral scene, because like for me, I'm even a little misty. Just like watching the people that cared about him who didn't believe it to the very end now have to sit with the weight of reality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I, I want to get your point on this because obviously in a rushed thing like that, sometimes that doesn't pull through. So do you feel the emotional weight of it or is it just like, oh, yeah, this is the wrap up of the movie? Um, the 
the two gut punches at the end are, I would say, the scene where he tells everyone. Mm -hmm. And Bobby realizes, George realizes, and, like, everybody, they're all freaking out as they realize, like, this is not a joke. That, like, was more upsetting than the funeral scene. And then the other, when he goes to the Philippines and has, like, realizes that this miracle is a is a gag and a scam. Mm-hmm. He got and like He got Kaufman, yeah. yeah. Um, but the movie keeps you kind of riding high and, like, hoping, like, because he kind of just gets away with things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. With, throughout his life, just, you know, Tony Clifton wrestling you only have a few moments where you see him experience consequences one is when he gets kicked out of the retreat yeah that's 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 a sad moment too too. you you were hit in that like when it cut to him in bed you were just like oh oh god (laughs) (laughs) because his face is so sad so sad oh my god but the way it's shot is just head floating in the the Paisley sheets was also like, hilarious. <laughs> um, and the SNL voting him off kind of thing. Yeah. But he's still able to have his Carnegie Hall moment. And the movie makes the viewer feel satisfied in that Andy accomplished everything he wanted to. Whether it's you believe he faked his own death and pulled it off like Mm -hmm. pulled off the ultimate joke or you believe he did die but he was able to have this great show like the movie makes you feel as though uh this this person's life was tied off neatly with a bow i feel like the reality of someone dying at 38 like 35 i did 35 yeah like 35 is too fucking young Especially, I, like... Is a person turning 35 yeah. in a month? Adam, I agree. Stop it. Like I agree. Uh, uh, that... Really? Right. right. I'm, like, imagining you, me, and Johnny sitting down at a table, you being like, I have a cyst. Uh, like, yeah. no! It, like... You know me, I love a good bit. <laughs> no death bits. Yeah. That almost feels too Hollywood. Yeah. And it, and so one of the things, and I, I will point this out because we talked about how there is some historical inaccuracies, uh, the Carnegie Hall ending scene being one of the bigger ones mm-hmm. where that took place, uh, let me find it here, in 1979. So a full five years before his death and well before the diagnosis. Mm. So him getting Carnegie Hall, doing this Milk and Cookies performance, you know, this whole part of it does make for a very Hollywood ending, and it wasn't actually the case. They just took something that he accomplished earlier and, and put it. played it for the emotional effect. Right. And it works. hmm It works. I love especially, too, when they're planning it out, and he just can't help himself by being like, and I asked Santa what I'm going to get for Christmas, and he says cancer. cancer. <laughs> no, he can't do that. No, no, I can't. No, he can't do that. It's not funny. <laughs> But, like, he can't help himself up until the very end. Right. He just wants to throw one more curveball, like, yeah. twist the Pie knife in, in the there. face. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest one. Because I'll just go through some of them here because the rest of them don't really mm-hmm. 
impact the story that we see in the movie the way that one does. Yeah. Uh, it's basically uh, Carol Kane, who is in this movie. Um, we saw her in Scrooge. She's the very yes. high-pitched ghost of Christmas whatever. Yeah. Um, she wasn't on Taxi in the first season, whereas like the montage, she's, she's in, that. in that. Again, that doesn't really impact things. That's just the nice Easter egg, I think, more for the movie. So that one's wrong. The uh, Some of the SNL stuff, like Richard Belzer wasn't the host of the first episode. No. It wasn't called Saturday Night Live until the second season. So some stuff like that is a little wrong. Because George Carlin, George Carlin was, was, the first host. was the first host, correct. And never invited back. I mean, you can't say those things on TV. I know. We wasn't saying that. Anyways. Um, so that, some of the other things they talked about was... Oh, that the portrayal of Andy on Taxi was fic- uh, fictitious, according to Sam Simon, who was co-creator of The Simpsons and was a writer on uh, Taxi, at least on the later seasons. And he said that Andy was always gracious. Andy always told you, never hid that Tony was Andy and Andy was Tony to the cast. So that part of it is a little more fabricated to drudge up some of the... Uh, discrepancies i guess in the character mm-hmm. but part of that could again part of that could just be his recollection on season five is everyone knew the bit by then whereas maybe in season one they didn't so i don't this is one True. of those like who knows whose thing is right mm-hmm. i have no reason to doubt sam simon but that's just one of the things listed here but none of that i think impacts the movie the way that the carnegie hall one uh, yeah because that is that's the big emotional crux final like uplifting piece yeah. amongst all the other downers in the last half an hour right oh i was thinking watching this i'm like this movie has a very similar feel to the people versus larry flint Mm. did you realize why that was i do now because i went i was like (laughs) oh well there we go yeah um another courtney love appearance um who plays larry flint in that uh woody harrelson oh okay yeah i like woody yeah i like that movie too but it's a that. similar, like, Whiplash. Yeah. 90s Whiplash movie. So really, it's the forte of director Milo Schwarman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which we, I d- danced around that, but I, you've seen his movies. You've seen People vs. Larry Flynn. You've yep. seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. That's the one I've seen. Uh, Hair. Seen Hair. So there you go. So you're... you're yeah, all of those have a... <laughs> a drop-off. A drop-off. <laughs> Deep drop off near yeah. the end. Well, Amadeus, have you seen Amadeus? I've not seen Amadeus. Okay. Neither but have I. I do know how it ends, and you could argue that, another drop off. Another yeah. drop off. So yeah, Milos Forman. So that's 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 funny that you picked out this feels like a different yeah. Milos Forman because they don't show him in the opening credits, I don't no, think. No, they just don't at the just end. the cast. Yeah. Um and part of that could be the Courtney Love element, like oh, that sort of Drama with Courtney Love in it. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I know this movie got mixed reviews mm-hmm. at the time of its release. And I can see sort of why maybe with some of the whiplash and the the tonal shifts. But there wasn't any point that I was bored. Maybe it's boring for an audience who's like, I saw the Letterman interview. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the SNL appearance. Like... Yeah, sometimes reliving a thing you saw, saw live like, isn't nearly as fun as someone like us who this is all new for us. Right. When I we was, see this movie for the first time. Right. But I was compelled the whole way. 
and not even necessarily by Jim Carrey's antics and that side of the performance, but Danny DeVito as George is so good, you know, seeing someone really fall in love Mm -hmm. with a performer and like become, go from interested to a fan to sort of evangelical Mm -hmm. is interesting. And I liked that he's loyal to him to the end. Yeah. He's like, I don't think you should have done the wrestling thing. Like, I'm not going to drop you, but. Stop. Can you come on now? (laughs) Yeah, and it's infectious too. Like it makes you fall in love with Andy to a certain extent, right? I think the mixed reviews too is all a big part of it. Can also be if you don't find the the shtick funny, this movie is going to take forever to finish because it's the shtick for ninety of the hundred and twenty, basically. So like if you if you're not on board with the Mighty Mouse and the fake fights and the water throwing and Tony Clifton and <laughs> like the quote unquote like anti comedy that he kind of has going on. Yeah. You're not going to like if you don't find the humor in singing the cow says moo, the chicken goes bock to a room full of drunkards, just turn it off. Like you're not going to get through the rest of it because that's what that's what this is. <laughs> Ironically, I feel like. This would be my mother's jam. Like, that's the sort of thing that would get her going. Okay. Like, a a Tony Clifton character, whether in real, like, real life or imagined, that sort of thing she finds hilarious. I okay. don't know why. Maybe show this to her, then. I, should, I couldn't get past. She'd You're, be like, isn't Jim Carrey? No. You think she'd no, get past she'd... the narration at the beginning? Yeah. Oh, no, that would actually, that would... That would be torture for her, probably. But I did think of her again during the scene where he talks about sitcoms. Like, I hate sitcoms. They're not funny. That's dead people laughing. Because my mother has had that same rant to me. I've heard that out of her mouth. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this information right now. My brain is flip-flopping. I mean, it's It's all canned laughter from people that maybe have died. Died. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's ghost laughter. It's ghost laughter. Tee-hee. Really changes the Big Bang Theory when you think about it. (laughs) (laughs) All just dead people laughing at nothing. Yeah. Did you ever watch Taxi? I probably saw an episode or two Mm -hmm. on Nick at Night, you know? Like, oh, you're staying up late. Like, you turn the TV back on and it's still Nickelodeon from whatever you were watching before. But not with any regularity. I didn't even give it a shot after enjoying this movie at any point. Mm -hmm. But granted... TV, older TV was harder to find in 2004 than it is now. And at no point in between then did I, like, because this is a movie I watched a bunch in my teens, but I don't think I've seen it in quite some time. Mm -hmm. I remember it very well, but it's not like I watched it in college and then went, you know what, I should give Taxi a try. Yeah. The way that I'm like, I remember Cheers, let's give Cheers a try. Like, that at some point crossed my mind, but never Taxi. Yeah. And I don't think those live in the same echelon either, which also doesn't help, is that Taxi isn't thought of as a a Cheers, as a yeah. MASH, as a, like a big a, tentpole yeah. sitcom yeah. of juggernaut television. of TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you? No, but I feel like I've seen clips. Danny DeVito was on Taxi, Danny too. Danny DeVito is. So that's, and this that's is what another, I was talking like, about, where a lot of the people that were surrounding Andy's life have roles in this movie. Which is really interesting. Yeah. So, like, Danny DeVito was on Taxi. He plays George. 
the cast of Taxi in the movie is the cast of Taxi. It's Kanicki. It's Judd, what, Judd Hirsch, right? That's his name? Yeah. The guy with the big nose? Yep, I think uh, so. Carol Kane, Christopher Lloyd, all playing the characters seemingly they played on Taxi, even though most of them just sit there silent with their faces going, oh, you gotta be kidding me with this guy. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but, like, they're, I mean, they're playing themselves. They're, it's the same. And that's what I was kind of talking about, where it's almost documentary style. Yeah. Even though it's filmed like a movie, shot like a movie, is a movie, the fact that there's, like, the real actors playing the fictitious versions of their real selves playing the actors on that show, it's, like, kind of a mindfuck. Mm-hmm. Is the wrestler played by the wrestler? Correct. Oh. So that is, in fact, Jerry, the King Lawler. And he's the king! He's the king, says uh, his broadcast partner at the time, J.R. Jim Ross. So I, And I think, too, watching this again reminded me that I didn't see this movie first. I saw the story about the movie first because in the filming of the movie, Jim Carrey pretended to break his neck during a fight with Lawler that made the news as part of, like, guerrilla marketing slash Jim just doing this shtick, this Mm -hmm. Andy-style shtick. So I remember hearing about that because I was a fan of wrestling in 1998, 1999. Yeah. Because most of America was. Um, I know. So I, like, I I remember hearing about that part of it before ever even seeing the, the movie. Okay. But yeah, Jerry's played by Jerry the King Lawler. He was one of the biggest stars of Memphis wrestling, which wrestling in the South is a whole different beast. It's like a religious experience for for a lot of those people and has been since, you know, the 60s. Uh, But Jerry was like the big head. His family ran wrestling. He was in WWF commentary doing all these things. So yeah, he very much, he even grew that ugly ass goatee back for the the movie. Uh, Yeah, I'm trying to think of who some of the other people in it um, the guy who is the uh, executive producer, like showrunner on Fridays that he fought in um, the movie. Yep. That's Bob Zamuda. Oh. Yeah. So you see him there back at the, the funeral scene to mm-hmm. be like, to be included in that. So that was another one of the big like core cast. I think. Yeah. We have Norm MacDonald and. Caroline Ray. Yeah. And that other actress whose name the, escapes me, but I've seen right, her in a million things. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Richard Belzer plays Richard Belzer, even though he's Richard Belzer playing Richard Belzer impersonating George Carlin, who was the first, like... <laughs> yeah, it's Richard Belzer playing a version of Richard Belzer in a timeline where... Yeah, where he, he hosted the first, the first episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels plays Lorne Michaels, yes. Uh, the And has a speaking role, too. He does. I feel like that's... Typically, if Lorne appears in a cameos in something he's just there and like nods yes or shakes his head no in the background of something yeah and i mean usually it's an snl produced movie or a lauren michaels Michaels produced produced movie movie. in nbc i mean granted this is a universal movie i don't know when mergers and stuff took place if they're they're in bed with each other at this point point, yet yeah uh yeah it is weird because like not you see him at first and he's just doing that "Mm -hmm, yes mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm." you know and then then they do the whole like do you want to vote him out? Let's vote him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do hear the Dr. Evil never him when he speaks. Never knew it as a kid. And the fact that every single person who does their Lorne impression is like so dead on and so Dr. Evil. And you're just like, 
man, Mike just really made fun of him to his face and he threw the checkbook at him. <laughs> right. I Strange lo- man. This is not the Lorne Michaels podcast, no. though this could be one. No, but an aside, I do love every single SNL alum has a Lorne impression and every one of them is hilarious. Like, yeah. Anytime you hear anybody do it, Carvey, Conan, Hater, like anytime anybody does one, it's just like, man, that's funny. <laughs> it just gets me every time. Because he's this like lovable dude who is also like the biggest TV producer in the world. Yeah. But yeah, so a lot of recognizable faces playing themselves because they were in Andy's orbit. So this is almost like it's a love letter to his life, but also a fictitious version of it. But a, a documentary-esque feel to it. Mm-hmm. I like that they keep Andy and his motivations pretty opaque. Like occasionally, he'll explain himself, mm-hmm. particularly to Lynn. But it's still... You never really see him. There's not like a a Johnny Cash, like, this is why I wear black. Like, there's just, Mm -hmm. the only explanation you get is when anytime he and Bobby are like, because it's funny. Yeah. What? What better reason is there to do something as a comedian than because it's funny? Funny, yeah. To to that point, I love George being like, it's only funny to you two idiots. (laughs) Like, clue me in on the joke. Clue the audience in on the joke. It's just funny to you guys. And they're like, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Which it is. It's true. It's like it's his whole routine, at least from the guise of the movie, Mm -hmm. is that everything is an inside joke to him and Bob. Yeah. Because like try to explain an inside joke to somebody else. Try to explain to somebody why drinking water and then lip syncing lines from the Mighty Mouse theme is hilarious. No one would believe you. Yeah. But then you see him do it and you're just like, the fuck? What's he doing? Okay. (laughs) All right. Wait, he's back to doing what? Oh, he did the thing again. That's funny. You know, like, you can't explain that. No. And it it just works. And to your point, the line from Lynn or whatever, they're like, it's towards the end of the movie where he's like, oh, careful. You're like, you're going to see the real me or something like that. And she's like, there is no real you. And he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You know, which is just like, it's a funny line, but it's also very true and kind of a little sad that he, there is, there's nobody there but Andy Kaufman, the entertainer. And then what does that look like when you strip that away? Right. Yeah. Because there's no, you know, we joked about the biopic opening beats of, you see them as the kid and the, the core memory, the moment that changes things for them that makes them an artist, makes them whatever they're going to become over the course of the movie. He just is it already. Yeah. He's talking into the wall. He's talking to the cowboys and the wallpaper. Like, that's his audience. He's done. Born that, like, I was born to do this. Yeah. It's also a nice kind of Easter egg when you realize this came out a year after Truman Show. He's like, there's no camera in there. You're not talking to anybody. He's like, but I am. They're my audience. Yeah. Almost like a little kid Truman show (laughs) immediately after. But I love when he's like, an audience is real people who are living and breathing. And then he fucking drags his sister down the hallway to be like, fine, you're the audience. Go. Laugh, participate with my sing-songiness. And then we just get right over that. Yep. No waste in time. No banana peels. Nope. And that was something that his father had lamented, that he wished that more of that part of Andy's life was shown. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Then it becomes tropey. Then it becomes a different kind of movie. Yeah. And, you know, and I said to you before that it 
it is a little biopic by the numbers, but it's also not. Because yeah. it doesn't really have the same beats. It's just like, here's a bunch of stuff that happens. It's funny or it's not, or it's heartfelt or it's not, or it's sad or it's happy or it's whatever. You know, and like you decide just, but here's, here's vignettes almost. Mm-hmm. And the way that conflict is kind of put in, in a traditional biopic, you would have the romantic interest would be introduced way earlier in the mm-hmm. movie. There would be sparks and then there would be conflict and then there would be getting together. Mm-hmm. In this, the conflict's there immediately. Yeah. And then it's just. And then it's not. And then it is again. Just a little bit. And then it's fine. And then it's it's smooth sailing. Yeah. And so I could see if you're reviewing that and you're used to the formula, which I don't know how used to it reviewers would have been in 1999. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a a lot in the recent year of (laughs) biopics, but trying to think of some from a little bit older. It may not have been as formulaic, but it also could take you out of the movie if you're expecting the formula Mm -hmm. and you get slapdash ridiculous bits and things like that yeah and i wonder too if there's a element of you know this person's not worthy of this sort of scrutiny and elevation maybe (laughs) i don't know like it's hard for me to sort of get a sense of you know where was andy kaufman in the public consciousness yeah you know like when you think of biopics prior to the mid 90s it's historical figures historical figures your gandhis patents um war heroes war heroes founding fathers florence nightingale um helen keller and her teacher what's the miracle worker i can't remember her name right now um mrs miracle worker mrs miracle worker i believe that's what it it says on the on the placard next to the apple. Amy Sullivan. <laughs> God damn it. Um, and then, you know, you have the guy who cursed out a wrestler on Letterman. Yeah, yeah. and got slapped. And got slapped. Yeah. So I wonder if that's a little bit, like even even Larry Flint, you could argue, is a well, Certainly bigger, at the time. Yeah, bigger figure within, like, the cultural consciousness. Yeah. Um. Especially in the mid-90s when, you know, yeah, they were going to court and all these different, like, you know, obviously all the people versus Larry Flynn, that's what it's about. But, um, like, that was a fresh news thing. That's, like, what we talked about with a streaming show, like, a, uh, you know, the O.J. Simpson trial or the Clinton impeachment or stuff like that, where you get to shove something out culturally about that stuff, not the guy who... Uh, did a bunch of weird stuff on TV. No one really knew what the fuck was going on with him. And then he died. (laughs) (laughs) You know, if you wanted to condense it down, if you didn't care, if you weren't tapped into the comedy world, like this seems like a a movie made for like comedy fans and fans of the people that make the comedy. Whereas like, you don't typically see a biopic of comedians really. Like, have we had a Carlin biopic? Have we had a Richard Pryor biopic? maybe but not like this no. not with a mainstream a-list star at the height of his power yeah in hollywood doing something like this so like to your point it is weird to pull andy out of that but also andy's his own bag like there's nobody else doing it like him one of the quotes i saw in this about uh jim specifically is that like 
Andy may have inspired Jim, but Jim's not doing the same thing Andy did. So to say that, you know, he's the inspiration isn't necessarily the same because they're doing different things. They're yeah. both technically making people laugh, but they're not doing the same thing. No. Because Andy's not a comedian, he's a song and dance man. <laughs> An entertainer. Correct. An old-fashioned vaudeville guy, essentially. <laughs> I will say this is a successful movie if you want to frame it as this movie will make you interested in and appreciate Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Which is what a good biopic is supposed yeah. to do. Make you appreciate whoever the artist is. Or, or the, the subject of... Yeah. Or go, wait, I need to learn more about this guy. Because that yeah. right there, I need to know what's real, what's not. I got to see the bits. I got to see the wrestling matches. I got to see the interviews. I got to see the Friday's appearance. I got to see SNL. Like, I need to know what about this is real. Because that's that dude's zany and off the wall. Like You may not like him, but you could, but you need to see more. Yeah. How'd you feel about Jim in this? Jim is good. I do know there was a documentary that came out a few years ago about his process. Correct. I watched it after we decided to do this movie. Oh. <laughs> it's been in my list forever. You're I never like, get to oh. the things in my list. I'm like, oh, I got to watch this now. Yeah, it's called Jim and Andy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out on Netflix in 2017. And it was during the filming of this movie, Jim had his own camera crew following him mm-hmm. and shooting behind the scenes stuff. And the big crux of this is Jim, during this movie, was method. Uh, A yes. 100% of oh. the time. And not just method with Andy, but method with Tony, too. Because Andy is Tony and Tony is Andy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I, I very much think that you should watch the documentary. I especially if you're going to go down the rabbit hole of Wikipedia and the whole thing and learn more about it. Yeah. It is fascinating. I really, really enjoyed it. But it starts with Jim basically saying, Andy took a, once I got the gig, I was out looking at whales or something. Like I was looking at the water and whales came up and Andy came to me and became, I became Andy. And like Andy took over. And Was Andy in a whale? What you- no, I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, you'll, like have, you'll, have to, you'll have to okay. watch it to get the exact quote. But it was basically like this, he sets this majestic picture of life and manifesting itself and almost secret-esque. Okay. Uh, and then Andy came down and embodied Jim and said, this isn't your movie, Jim. It's my movie. I'm going to play me in my movie okay. and off and off to the races. Okay. Um, but some of the things in the documentary is it's showing the frustration with some of the people. It's showing Milos being like, you know, we got to get Jim and do this. And he's like, or we got to, you're, you're being Andy and you're going to do this. And he's like, I'm standing right here. Why are you talking to me like I'm not here? And he's doing the Andy voice. And he's doing the whole thing. And one of the, the better parts of the documentary is the parts with Jerry Jerry Lawler, Mr. Lawler, as he's called in the movie, to where he points out that him and Andy were friendly. He always called them Mr. Lawler, but there was a friendship. Not a true friendship, but like they got along. Whereas Jim was still embodying Andy, but he was doing it in the character of the scenes, behind the scenes too. So he's fucking with Jerry the way that Andy in the movie fucks with Jerry. Yeah. And Jerry was not having it. They they did have some pull apart, not quite brawls, not quite melees, but some, um, dude, I could do this to you anytime I want. Like, sometimes you take the joke too far. I'm not playing. Yeah. Moments while filming. So it, it uh, he goes full method. I'd never. 
And if you're a performer, yeah. Unless you're the ghost of Marlon Brando, and even then, knock it the fuck off. Unless you're playing the ghost of Marlon Brando as the ghost of Marlon Brando, <laughs> then you then go full method. I 100% agree. You can do that yeah. in that sense. But yeah, it's a very fascinating documentary. I very much um, suggest watching it. Whether you like or don't like this movie, if you're interested in all about the process of it. Um, yeah. There's also a line in the documentary where basically like, Universal at one point, and again, I don't know, you don't know how true this is because Jim's doing Andy, and Andy is a cut up and a bit guy. Mm-hmm. Basically, Jim in the present is saying like, Universal came to him and was like, we need all the tapes that you filmed. This is never to see the light of day. Because we don't want to make Jim Carrey look like an asshole. (laughs) Like, we want to protect Jim Carrey because we want to put Jim Carrey in Jim Carrey movies because Jim Carrey movies make all of the money. Yeah. So we don't want to make happy-go-lucky fun Jim Carrey look like an absolute prick. So it's like, it's a hard dichotomy to watch, like a funny man who also has his own stuff doing full method, which... It seems like more and more actors are coming out recently and being like, enough. Like, stop. Nobody wants to be on set with you. Your performance doesn't necessarily get any better. And sometimes you go method and your movie sucks. And then what do you have? You just have a bunch of ruined friendships and a bunch of ruined coworker experiences and no one wants to be around you. Right. Right. And the the actors you see doing it are like the Jared Leto's of like... Are you method or are you a fucking asshole? Yeah, exactly. And you're hiding something. And this is like sort of part of a smokescreen to kind of keep moving the shell around sort of thing. It also potentially means that you're not that good an actor if you have to completely live your character for a month. Like, if you're a great actor, you should be able to turn that on and off. Right. You shouldn't have to completely break yourself down and build yourself up as a different person to then go to work every day, even though some of us do that anyway. Yeah. Like, did you did you go with us to see The Lighthouse? No. <sighs> Have you seen it, though? No, but I get it. <laughs> I get it. So, like, in that movie, you know, you have Robert Pattinson, who is methody, mm-hmm. and Willem Dafoe, who is a professional... And just shows up and says, this yeah. is the performance you want. This is what you're going to get. But that's and easier it, for him because he's a little kooky anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think he's even kooky. He's just like, so what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. What do you need? You need Green Goblin? You need... I got you. Yeah. You need Jesus? I got you. you need... Oh, we're doing Green Goblin by the Sea. Got it. Got it. <laughs> um, And apparently Pattinson during the filming was at like uh, almost kind of had the method spell broken or was wigged out by the fact that they could do these intense scenes and then Defoe could just be like, all right, I'm going to craft services. See yeah. you tomorrow. Like, <laughs> And that's and he, what makes a, a good actor is that you can turn it off and on. And when the it says action, boom, you're right back in the character. You're right back into Andy. You're right back into Lighthouse Keeper, whatever it needs to be. Yeah. If you got a, using Leto as an example from... The, when he was worked on Suicide Squad in 2016, mm-hmm. if you got to send poop and <laughs> condoms filled with whatever and dead rats to your co-stars to really get in the character of the Joker, maybe you're not as good of an actor. Yeah. I'm going to get into the character of Batman and show up at your trailer and beat the fucking shit out yeah. of you. Just knock it off. Damn it, I'm ben, put you, you in a trash can. You should have done that, Ben. You know, and like, obviously Method 
has its downfalls going along the Joker same line. Method is seemingly what people say killed Heath Ledger is that he went too crazy. He went too method, went too down the rabbit hole to get in the head of a psycho. And it, it messed with him mentally. Now that could just be hearsay. I don't know for a fact, but that's, that was the scuttlebutt in 2008. Right. Yep. And I think that has persisted because only like probably Michelle Williams knows for real because they were separated at the time but together. One of the Olsen twins who got the call that night. Yeah. That's from But they're not going to tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Method's not necessarily the right way. Yeah. Having said all that, he embodies this character to an insane degree. And like the voice is spot on to the the Caspi I forget the lip tack or whatever his name whatever his name is. Lakka. Lakka. Yeah, um, you know, that voice is the same. The like the breathy voice that he uses through the rest of it kind of the same. The mannerisms, the eyes, the twitches, the you know, stuff like that. One thing that you'll see in the, the documentaries, his real life people that he knows, his family, his I think his brother comes on and they're like, What's it like talking to Andy again? And he's like, It's weird. I am talking to Andy, like to the point where people that knew him and granted, this could be put ons for the, I, this might be on the, the VHS or the DVD or whatever, but even they were like, no, he's Andy. Like, it's kind of creepy how he just like, is this person that I knew that I haven't seen for 15 years or whatever it was at that point. So I'm sure the people on set probably weren't as having the best time all the time. And mm-hmm. I'm sure... Milos Forman, who seems like a no-nonsense kind of guy, probably put up with a lot. If your name is Milos, in general, I feel like low tolerance Yeah. for nonsense. Yeah. So, I mean, he probably put a lot of those people through the ringer, and he did get a Golden Globe for his efforts. Not an Oscar, but a Golden Globe, which mileage may vary on whether that's an achievement or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's all, I don't know. Are we really going to go back and be like, you know what? Will Smith's performance in King Richard was the best performance of the past year, <laughs> 30 years from now. Oh. Who knows? But it works. He does a good job. Yeah. I did not take many notes. I was just kind of enjoying myself. Just enthralled in just the experience. Just enthralled, yeah. Do you have an Andy in your life? Is there someone in your life who was Andy-esque? I, mean, I don't want to brag, but... <laughs> 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 I mean... I would see. See, why would you ask that question? I think it's me, but not that I'm like a comic genius or anything. But I feel like I'm always doing bits that are making people around me kind of go, oh, "Enough! Can I have like a second where you're not like doing a thing?" <laughs> see, no, but you're not like that because I've no. known people like that where you're like, "Like just enough." Wait, hold on, Jamie. Yes. <laughs> Tell her it could yeah. be worse. Yeah, um, exactly. I'll show her this and be like, see, I could, I could, I can turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I don't think I have anybody who like solely like hits that button of like that go away button. Mm-hmm. Like uh, yeah, because there's a couple ways you could kind of interpret the antics. Yeah. You know, like I've definitely known people who they're trying to, they're always trying to get the punchline or they're always trying to get the quip and it doesn't land and that's annoying. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Andy purposefully is trying to say the wrong punchline, mm-hmm. but that's what makes it funny. Yeah. Whereas, like, I've definitely known other people who, like, go for that, and you're just like, what? No. Like, rewind. Where's your head at here? 
And then they try <laughs> to like, they were sincere and they were trying to explain. You're like, no, no, no. See, because we missed this connection and it doesn't work anymore. Stop. <laughs> yes. We missed the exit. Yeah. Five exits ago. Yeah. I'm sorry. Stop. Go away. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends dated this guy who was always on, always looking for a laugh, like relentless. And I just remember he had a bit he would do every day at lunch. <laughs> I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm laughing because I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mad that this still affects me, and <laughs> mad that's that I'm still funny. fucking thinking about it. He would buy. <laughs> See, I'm afraid you're gonna laugh at it, and then I'm gonna get mad. He would buy a Rice Krispie treat okay. every day. <laughs> Are we talking like standard, like standard pre-packaged, size. pre-packaged Rice Krispie treat, or like homemade big square? A standard pre-packaged. Okay. You know, vending machine. Yeah. Essentially, rectangle, maybe about. Yeah. Like that. Opposite L of fingers is what Bridget did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he would sit down and then he would take the Rice Krispie treat and rub it under his underarms like it was a deodorant. Every Every fucking day. And then look around to see who would acknowledge it. And there was a time that a mutual friend sort of like went to the table and she's like, nobody laugh. Nobody fucking acknowledge it this time. We're breaking the cycle. <laughs> That's like getting voted off SNL for him. I know. <laughs> <laughs> the people don't want you, man. They don't want it's you. Like, fucking enough. So that was like, anytime it was getting like a little bit too far, I was thinking of the Rice Krispie Treat <laughs> antiperspirant. See, me in my like teens and 20s, I'm sure that I, there were people who thought that of me. No. Like in college or high school. I'm sure that there was like, this, this joke isn't landing, but I'm sticking with it. In the hopes that it's one of those things that, like, was funny for a second, then wasn't funny for a really long time, and then it kept going, and then somehow became funny again, because it just, you just kept up with it. So, like, I'm sure that happened. Everybody, I'm sure, has yeah. that. You, you thought this was your shtick, and everyone else thought it was annoying as fuck. <laughs> it's true. The key is there, you got to switch it up. It can't be deodorant every time if no one's acknowledging the deodorant. Make it a bar of soap. Make it a microphone. Use the prop. Use the same prop, sure. But yeah, change it up a bit. Yeah, make that the bit. Yeah. Make it not a Rice Krispie treat every day. Come on, cell phone? Beeper? You got Be- all kinds of options. See, this is a, see, this is the thing, though. Here's the problem. Because you actually are funny and smart. <laughs> <laughs> and this person was not. This person was just compulsive. Mm. And wanted to be, like, center stage. Gotcha. Did they make it to be an Andy Kaufman-esque character? We'll talk offline. (laughs) We'll talk offline. I've already said too much. Okay. Did you change the... The item and the the action so that way... No, I didn't. So, like, someone... Someone... Someone who went to my high school graduating class who may have been in a lunch period would know. Okay. Well, if I get an email, I'll definitely share it. Yeah, Like, if if something comes into the Broken Clock's inbox... Well, uh, I'll follow that up. Yeah. Or let us know at Broken Clock Pods if you ever thought the Rice Krispie Treat was de- that was deodorant was funny. <laughs> let us know on Twitter, um, and I will actually. I'll please don't, 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 <laughs> don't, because this is the thing that could keep the momentum moving forward. He's like, oh shit, it's funny again. We're back. We're back, dude. I never. And I got it. notes this time. Bar of soap. Come on, what was I thinking? <laughs>
Oh, beeper! Beeper, you idiots! <laughs> sitting in his accounting job or whatever. Oh, my God. Like, oh, fucking God damn it. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. How was Courtney Love for you? You talked a little bit about knowing Courtney Love was in it. You like Courtney did. Love? I love Courtney Love. I got a lot of love from Ms. Love. Um, she was okay. Not in it a ton. Not in it a ton. Not really asked to do much here. Not a very dynamic character. No. Not given a lot to do. No. A little disappointing. I will say, though, you were right. Her scene where they find out about the cancer, all of them, like, that should have been the thing shown for every, for your consideration. Because every single one of them, Giamatti nailed it. Yeah. Um, Danny DeVito nailed it. Courtney Love nailed it. Jim nailed it. Absolutely riveting scene. Mm-hmm. And her runaway and crying, great. Yep. She's good. She's a good performer. Yeah, just, you know, not given a lot to do. Mm. The chemistry, I don't find... I don't, I don't see it there. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I get that. Part of that, I wonder, is is their chemistry? Because Andy's not real. You know, like, a lot of chemistry with most characters or with most people is because you get to see them at their most real mm-hmm. intertwining and, like, being together. But Andy's not real. Yeah. Because there is no real Andy, as we talked about. So maybe that's part of it, that he's got a wall, so therefore it never breaks through from a chemistry standpoint. Or it could just be the method acting is hard to act against, because now you're acting against a the guy doing a stand-up routine, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and it's hard. I was trying. I was trying to be open-minded. There is a small part of me that suspects that the real Andy Kaufman did probably start wrestling women so that he could touch women and get boners on TV. Mm-hmm. It was implied slightly. I feel like. Yeah, because he does it in the brothel before he has. Right, the, uh, right. Yeah. I'm like. Mm. So I'm trying to read the romance in good faith. And the the point where he sort of proposes to her, like, do you want to go to Memphis and get married? Felt very cute. Felt very sweet. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out it's a bit. Yeah. And she rightfully is, says, don't treat me like a prop. But then immediately is like, head touching, we're, we're good now. Like. Yeah. I, like, I think the problem might be that she's superfluous Mm because the romance is really between at least in the movie is between andy and bobby and george yeah that's the relationship that matters yeah i get that and she's 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 there to lose a wrestling match yeah well and a little bit too because you're you in a in a biopic there has to be a romantic love interest assuming this person was not like you know asexual never dated and never had a partner like andy clearly had a partner there was somebody with him when he died therefore they should be included in the story even though that's not important to his life or his career the way that june is important to johnny yeah you know we're like you have to include that because like that those are they're linked yeah and when one died the other died like six weeks later or whatever it was like those are they're intrinsically linked because of their love and their story is together yeah this isn't that. No one talks about Andy and goes, oh, Andy and Courtney Love. I mean, my God. <laughs> the, I mean, even the way, uh, and granted, part of it's because of the Andy, but the way that Kurt and Courtney are talked about, you know? Right. Like, that's a, that you get. If you tell one of their stories, you include both. 
I don't think you need that with Andy. I think they just threw it in because Hollywood needed a romantic interest. Mm-hmm. And she was like his partner at the end. Yeah. Because you need someone who's not in on the bit to like Andy. Otherwise, he would be an insufferable That's true. character throughout the entirety of the movie. Like, you need that levity. You need that romantic connection that people typically understand in order to connect with the audience because otherwise you just hate Andy and it would almost be no redeeming him you might even be like thank god he got cancer at the end I was really I was really worried he was going to have a happy ending here because boy uh. I'd have paid $50 to touch the cyst (laughs) I'd put it there for free yeah (laughs) so yeah I get that I get that part of it yeah, it's a it's a thankless role. Mm-hmm. She does what she can, as so many female roles were in the nineties. <laughs> um, but Paul Giamatti, Danny DeVito, two short kings, mm-hmm. class acts, <laughs> class acts. Yeah, Danny's Paul's- really good in this. Yeah, I mean he's always good. I know, but like, he- but like. He's really good. The way that he balances, like, the like the excitement that we got a sitcom to, like, oh, you fucking hate sitcoms? And yelling at him that he's going off the rails or getting super mad before he realizes who Tony Clifton is. Which, yeah. did you peg that, by the way? Did you know going in that Tony was Andy and Andy was Tony? When that bit started, or you were just like, who the fuck is this dude? Well, because he calls him as Tony, right? Yes, first. To threaten him to say, stay away from Andy Kaufman, he's a liar, he's a, he screwed me out of all the money or whatever. Yeah. I I was like, that's Andy. But then I forgot about it. I had forgotten that he had made the call. I was sort of like, oh, he's going to be... Like, when he got to the, the showcase, I was like, oh, okay. I see what's happening now. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, and at that point we hadn't been introduced to Bob, so the movie plays it off perfectly because you don't know Giamatti yet. Yeah. And so even that reveal is funny. But Danny going up and down and going on the roller coaster, as it were, is just great stuff. And then the last scene where he's like, yeah, man, like, well, we'll put the kids show on. Like, we can definitely sell that. Like, that's easy. Yeah. It's just so heartbreaking because he knows, because he can see what maybe Andy can't, that, like, you're not getting better. You're not, you're, you're just getting sicker. It's moving. At this point, they had said in the movie, it went from his lungs to his arm at a certain point before he went to do this treatment in the Philippines, it had gone from his lungs to his brain. Mm. So the Philippines thing was a Hail Mary. Yeah. Um, but it was basically like, it's just one of those things where everybody kind of knew. And maybe Andy didn't want to admit it, or maybe that's just how the, the movie plays it. But Danny in that last scene, is just like, but you can tell that he cares. Yeah. And that, like, that there is this love there more so than with Courtney Love. Yeah. I forgot to ask you uh, in the before part, because it is somewhat central to this movie. Had you heard the R.E.M. song, Man on the Moon, loosely inspired by and directly mentioning Andy Kaufman and his wrestling matches and laughter and whatnot? I had heard it. It's been years. And I don't think I realized that Andy Kaufman is a a character that runs through the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the title of that song song is... If you believe they put a man on the moon, you believe Andy Kaufman is dead, I believe is the thing. So, like, it's about the conspiracy, maybe, that Andy faked his own death or yeah. whatever, that he could still be out there. And I'd, I'd have to listen to the full thing again and pay attention to the lyrics. But if, whichever way it goes, like, if you believe they put a man on the moon, you believe Andy Kaufman's dead, you know, or yeah. still, like, whatever the, I forget the exact thought process, but it's 
parroting that and then like if you believe that then you believe that he's alive like what yeah so it's about the conspiracy of it all but um to that point rem did the soundtrack for this movie so they did most of the score. Obviously, Mighty Mouse is still the Mighty Mouse theme. Yeah, they um, do it. Sung by Andy, obviously, as we saw in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, they did a bunch of songs, um, a bunch of the, like, you know, the score. And then uh, the big hit off of this is the song The Great Beyond, which plays uh, during the credits. And that's off this album specifically. Whereas Man on the Moon came out in, like, 92. Like, it's off of an actual REM album. Mm-hmm. I gotta get into REM. Good stuff. I haven't gone down that that road yet. No, but Man of the Moon and Great Beyond are awesome songs. Yeah. I was vibing out to Great Beyond at the end. I know. We were just sit, like, we let the whole credits run through. You were waiting for a possible scene. Yeah, I couldn't remember if there was some kind of like, because the movie starts with the fake like Andy talking about like he took all the nonsense out of the movie, which was a great bit that we were laughing about. Like, okay, time to do the post show. The movie's over. <laughs> Credits, the credits of Rollbridge were let done. Me, let me finish my garlic chicken. Yeah, this was an elaborate prank on you to Got get him. us out of here at eight thirty. <laughs> but yeah, then but so that I, I couldn't remember at the end if there was like a like a Ferris Bueller style, like what are you still doing here? Go home. Like the movie's over. Like something like that. I couldn't remember. Yeah. There wasn't, but I wasn't mad sitting through it. No, <laughs> and I was just starting my my research, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that the that REM, and I could be mistaken because I'm not the biggest REM fan, but I feel like they haven't done many, if any, soundtracks the way that some people do one and then so, they springboard into doing a bunch of them, like an Atticus Ross or a, a million other people who like start yeah, in music. Yeah, you're Trent Reznor. Yeah, Trent Reznor, yeah. Like you start with one and then you just... Yeah. yeah. How about just Michael Stipe, I wonder? Yeah, I'm not sure. Apparently, Michael Stipe was an executive producer on Being John Malkovich and this movie. Okay. Um, but I don't see anything about being, uh, like, doing the music for... He also acted in an episode of Pete and Pete. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I think a pretty good soundtrack overall from a band you wouldn't necessarily associate with doing film soundtracks. Yeah. And you get a little bit of history with the Andy Kaufman, uh, the Andy Kaufman song. <laughs> <laughs> you know a little bit of that going in. Yep. Did they write... The cow goes moo? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, hold on, let me get the soundtrack. <laughs> the soundtrack wiki back up here. Let's see if it says it. Pull up the track listing. Uh, so the track it? listing is Mighty Mouse, The Great Beyond, Kiss You All Over by Exile, uh, the theme oh, to Taxi, uh, then Score, Man on the Moon, This Friendly World, performed by Michael Stipe and Jim Carrey, with the latter portraying both Tony Clifton and Andy Kaufman. The score song, Lynn and Andy score song, Rose Marie, performed by Andy. Andy gets fired, I Will Survive, which watching that, the two versions of I Will Survive that always jump out to me is this one and the one from the movie The Replacements, where like the whole football team is singing it in jail. But uh, the Tony Clifton, first I was afraid, I was petrified. <laughs> like, that's that's been in my head for 20 years. Uh, and saying Survive. Hilarious. I can't hear the song the same (laughs) as everybody else. (laughs) And if I do hear it the same as everybody else, I'm picturing like Reese Elfins like dancing in a jailhouse with Keanu Reeves. (laughs) So (laughs) Yeah, and then it's like Michael Stipe, Michael Stipe, Michael Stipe, Andy Kopp and all that stuff. So yeah, no nothing in nothing in the track listing about the cow goes moo 
the lion goes rawr. Birds go tweet, tweet, tweet. Cat goes meow. <laughs> Did you have a particularly favorite bit of his that the, that we've shown in this movie? Starting with playing children's songs at a bar. <laughs> when he's at the improv, because that's the... The the scene right after the singing one when he does yeah. like Mighty Mouse and the thank you very much for the first time. Um, no, because that's SNL. Oh, yeah, I he think. does do Mighty... No, but he first does it in the bar when George discovers him. Yes, where he does... Elvis. Elvis and like a Henny Youngman bit, and he's just like... I like my wife. <laughs> Take my wife, please. Take no, my wife. I love her. No, I love her. She's just a bad cook. <laughs> <laughs> um, I came in from, and the traffic was so bad, it took me an hour and a half to get here. <laughs> like, but he doesn't tell you where he came from. Yeah. So there's no rhyme or reason yeah. to whether an hour and a half is long or not. I'm from <laughs> Caspiar. It's an island in the Caspian Sea. It's, it sank. It sank. <laughs> <laughs> that might be my favorite. Especially when he George hands him the business card and he looks at it and he goes, "Oh my God, like George Shapiro, like you're, oh my God, so nice to meet you." And he goes, "Caspiar, huh?" Yeah. <laughs> um, then we have the booger at the dinner. Oh, the booger at dinner is really funny. The fact that he's already got the card made up that he's going to sell it on that says like you know worn by Andy Kaufman with the fake booger. Yep. Great stuff. I like the early stuff in the movie when we get into the wrestling and some of the stuff that feels more mean spirited. Mm. when he's trying to play the villain that does less for me yeah that makes sense because you're you're rooting against him in those moments because it does feel more real and more hurtful than Mm -hmm. and it it feels more like an obvious bit yeah well because it's wrestling and you know now what i think they didn't either know or want to acknowledge in 1980 that wrestling is not real yes so like it's different to watch it now with that lens of knowing what we know now. Mm-hmm. Whereas back then, especially in Memphis and throughout the South, you couldn't, it's still real to them, damn it. Yeah. You know, like you could not tell them that's them's fighting words. Like Jerry Lowe would punch your teeth out if you told him wrestling was fake in 1980, whatever. So I get it from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. As, a, as a wrestling fan, oh, I love it. He, he embodies the perfect wrestling heel mentality. He hits all the right beats that, People that are different than him are worse. People from the South are dumb. Uh, everything I am is great. The place I'm from is amazing. I'm smarter. I'm faster. I'm better. And you all suck. Like, he hit every single note on cue. Yeah. So, like, that stuff's fun for me. Especially as a wrestling fan who recognizes the wrestler and the announcer and all this yeah. other stuff. I did, when he appears on Letterman in the neck brace, too... Mm. I was like, oh my god, now it makes sense. Like, Because I've seen like photos of the real Andy Kaufman in the neck brace. Yep. You know, I feel like that's the image that a lot of people might have. If they don't think of Jim Carrey, they probably think of the neck brace. I'm like, oh, that's why he has the neck brace. Yeah, yeah and you called like it out. It's not part and... of a gag. Yeah. But it is, like, it, I mean, it is, but it's, uh, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason for this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah you called it. You're like, that's what I think. And I'm like, well, you're going to see it. Yes. <laughs> so, It's in the movie. The one that gets me is when he hates the audience at Arizona State. And is like, you know what? Fuck these guys. I'm going to read them the Great Gatsby. And then he throws in a thank you very much. And then they're like, okay, he's got him back. He's got him on board. Then he goes back into reading. They boo. They hate it. And he's like, okay, guys, do you want me to keep reading or do you want to hear the record? And they scream record because they want the Mighty Mouse bit, which is a funny bit. 
I don't know why you'd want to watch it multiple times. Yeah. Like, I don't know why you'd pay money to go see a show to watch a man lip sync Mighty Mouse when you know the punchline mm-hmm. already. So that's a little, that's a weird ask anyway, but fans are fickle and they absolutely would do that. Yeah. Uh, well, it's for the same reason that, like, Chappelle at that Hartford show years ago, mm-hmm. like, got fed up with, like, a bunch of people shouting out, like, Rick James. Lil John. Lil you John. Know, yeah. Right. Like, all the bits. Yeah. Do Chappelle's show. Do, yeah. Yeah. Like, Which is why, you know, seemingly why he went away. From doing the show is because he would do stand-up sets and people would just shout Rick James bitch at him. Yeah. But then to say the absolute fuck you of being like, all right, I'll give you the record. And the record is him just reading The Great Gatsby. Genius. I know. (laughs) I can understand being mad when you're sitting there, but like one guy is clearly loving it. He's like, yes, like, I get it. I'm in on the bit. Yeah. There's nothing better than that than being in on the bit when everyone else has turned against it. (laughs) So I think that's probably one of my favorite, like, bit scenes yep. uh, in the movie. The Carnegie Hall performance, too. Yeah, that's just sweet. That's just, yeah. Did you think the old lady died? No. In I the was moment? Like, no. Okay. Only one person is dying in this movie. It's Andy. It's Andy. Andy. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. Uh, so, all right, so let's talk about that. We're, we're kind of at the end. Yeah. We talked about a lot of the things. The... The ending fades out after the video, which to me, in the moment watching it now, I wish that's where the movie ended, is at the funeral when his black and white video he's playing fades to black. Mm -hmm. Such a sweet, wonderful, touching ending. But we get, one year later, the return of Tony Clifton, which did happen. Tony Clifton did do performances after Andy's passing. They were all done by Bob Zamuda, but in the movie... It pans through the crowd and, and you, you see Bob Zamuda, Bob Zamuda uh, as portrayed. I think you might even see the real one, but as portrayed by the same actor that has mm-hmm. played him all movie long. How do you feel about that? Leaning into the maybe it's maybe he faked it. I don't mind it too much. I can see why some people within Andy's life might not feel great about it. From the little research I've been able to start is I sense there is a lot of tension between Bobby Zamuda and other people kind of within the circle. Mm -hmm. Sort of the idea being, you know, Bobby has a vested interest in having people sort of believe in the myth of them, you know, continuing this one, one more great gag. Yeah. It sells his book. It sells, it sells any appearances he wants to do as Tony Clifton. Yeah. If he somehow owns the rights to the character. Yeah. Gets people to buy copies of Man in the Moon on VHS. VHS. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in that way, I'm like, mm. and he was so involved in the making of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's hard for it to not feel a little cynical in that light. But I don't think it is the only way that like you can interpret that scene. It leaves it open to it. But you have, you know, the panning around the comedy store and you have um, the the neon of Andy and sort of this, you know, this is someone who's become immortal, not through faking his own death necessarily, but through his legacy, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, because you get Abbott and Costello, you get Groucho, mm-hmm. you get, I forget who some of the other people are up there. That they also have their face in neon in a cartoon caricature. And then to end on Andy after you pass by Paul Giamatti is just like, it is a nice ending, like in that sense. Yeah. Um, I just think the funeral ending's better. Yeah. 
I kind of like it because it's like, whether or not Andy is alive or dead, the bit lives on. Yeah. Which the is bit what, is immortal. Which is the best part about a bit is if it continues. Yeah, dude. If you breathe such life into the bit that it carries on past you. Yeah. Like if it means that's the move. Your ex-girlfriend's friend from high school is still talking about your goddamn rice crispy deodorant <laughs> fit. You are doing something right. Only if it's in a positive light. Yeah. <laughs> I think. It's true. Well, any other thoughts that you uh, want to get out there? Any other favorite bits? Any other favorite lines of dialogue? Particularly good scenes? The one bit of dialogue that I noted, I already said, but I'd like to say it again. He's the king. <laughs> you left really hard. <laughs> the delivery was so good because it was emphatic but incredulous at the same time. Yeah. He's the king. <laughs> Listen, that man is a legendary wrestling commenter for a reason. He, I see it. He's been doing I it. I hear it. He's been doing it since the 70s probably. He is the person that most wrestling fans will think of any time they think of any seminal moment in wrestling for the most part, is that man's voice. When Mick Foley gets thrown off the top of the cage, that's that guy yelling, by God, he's broken in half. Like, anytime you hear it, that's him. So he's he's the man for a reason. So it's no surprise that that's going to stick with you. (laughs) I think that'll, uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. Remember, you can find every episode of Fine, I'll Watch It every Thursday morning on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. Remember, you can also rate and review this show in-app on both Apple Music and Spotify. So let us know what you think of the show. Hopefully you give it five stars. We greatly appreciate that. Helps us grow the show. And also we appreciate anybody listening, whether you can rate an app or not. We definitely appreciate you uh, listening. If you like the show, definitely tell a friend as well. But you and your friend can let us know what you think of Man on the Moon on Facebook and Twitter, at Broken Clock Pods. You can also tell us your favorite Milos Forman movies, your favorite Jim Carrey drama roles, uh, your favorite Danny DeVito roles, uh, anything we've talked about. Uh, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. Uh, but once again, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Bridget. And thanks so much for listening. Bye.